Bless us this morning. May your word touch our lives. May it instruct us. May it even inspire us. We ask the Lord that in this service this morning that you be glorified. May we, your people, be edified as we serve you, as we praise you, as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to be I'm going to be brief today. I'm going to just cut right to the chase. Revelation chapter 20 says the following. Verse 12. I'm reading Revelation 20, 12 about these books. I'm excited about these books. And here's what it says. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, plural, according to their works. Dropping down to verse 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 19 says this. If you'll just flip over a page to chapter 19, verse 13. 20. Let me just say this to you. In Revelation chapter 19, 20, 21, and 22, the last four chapters of Revelation, all of them talk about these books. What books? I'm going to tell you what books here in a few minutes. But I'm excited about these books. So here's what Revelation 19 says about the books. It says, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had written a name written that no one knew but he, but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. All capital letters, the word, uh, the O and of is lowercase, but the G in the King James Version is capitalized as well, the Word of God. Revelation, if you will, turn over to Revelation chapter 21, verse 27. Revelation 21, 27. It says in Revelation 21, 27, the King James Version, and there shall be in no wise, I'm sorry, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's Revelation 21, 7. Let's go to Revelation 22, 7. Revelation 22, 7, KJV. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Thank you very much. That was Revelation 22, 7. That was Revelation 22, 7. All right. And I want you to look at another one in Revelation 22, 19. It says, And if any shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book 
And I want you to look at one more, please. One more. St. Luke chapter 10, verse 20. St. Luke chapter 10, verse 20. I'll give you a second to get there. St. Luke 10, 20. And actually, when you get there, you can just say, man. Okay, here's what it says. It says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. What books, so many books are mentioned. So many books or references to books are mentioned. So what I'm going to try to do in a few minutes is just kind of delineate what books the Lord are referring to, and primarily maybe three. We don't know exactly how many books there are because the word books is plural here in chapter 20. Actually, verse 20, and uh, if you look at verse 12, it's plural. So we know that there's at least two. So I'm going to just try to address three books that I think the text is certainly identifying. One is there's a book containing the works of sinners that will be judged. And that's according to what it says here in Revelation 20. I could also cite for you uh, Ephesians chapter 2 also refers to a book. And so I brought some props here this morning. I brought some props because I'm going to try to demonstrate these books. I really wanted to get some super, super large books, but I, um, I wasn't able to uh, get them in time. So I got these smaller books, which I'm going to try to use to demonstrate just how it might work out. We, we don't know, we don't know if the books are literal books or if the books are in God's mind and his heart, if they're invisible. So since I don't really know if these books are literal or symbolic, I'm just going to, for the sake of this example, say that they are, are literal books, okay? He refers to books and then another book. So the first book he talks about, he says, is the book which will judge the things that were written out of those who were great and small, verse 12 in Revelation 20. The books were open, and in this book, in which there was another book open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books according to their works. So it seems like there is at least one book that is going to be a book that will have all the names of unbelievers in that book. I'm going to put that book right here. That'll be this big, big green book. Actually, this book is a book that I got uh, from my uh, book collection downstairs by one of my favorites, Alfred Edersheim, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. Then there's going to be another book, which is the Word of God. This is the King James Version of the Companion Bible. It's a very large Bible. 
very large book. Um, and the word of God will be used because he says his name is the word of God. And he says that one of the books will be the word of God here in Revelation chapter 21. The, the, uh, he says, in, it says in Revelation, actually, I'm going to read to you from um, Revelation 19, 13. It says, and he was clothed with a vestube, dipped in blood, and his name is called the word of God. So the word of God is one of the books that he lists here in the chapters discussing the books. He mentions one other book. He mentions the book of life. And I made a special note of that because the book of life is mentioned in multiple places. Sometimes it's referred to as it is in Revelation chapter 22 as the Lamb's book of life, as Revelation 21, 27 actually. And it's also mentioned as the book of life. And then in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, is, re is referred to as your names being written in heaven or recorded in heaven, depending upon the translation. And actually, I like that because the Greek word for written actually means to inscribe formally. It's a, an official record. We're going to call this one, this big book here, this is going to be considered the book of life. This is the big one. And here, here's the differences between these books. The book here is the book that God will use according to scripture on what is called the great white throne judgment. That is when all of the living and dead, all of the sinners, all of the unbelievers will be judged by their deeds and words according to their life. That's a book that as believers, our name should not be in. Let's hope your name isn't in this book. Not a, not a good book to have your name in, okay? Because that means that you are not part of the believers. You are not part of the rapture. You are not part of God's kingdom. Then there is the word of God, which will be used to judge. There is this, this idea that as believers... We are being judged right now by the word of God. We are being judged by what we know, what we do, and what we think. Amen? So that is occurring right now as we live. God's word judges us, not for the sake of condemning us, but for the sake of instructing us, improving us. Amen? We are made whole by the word of God. The word of God is a, a source of life. It is, it is how we are instructed, but it is also how we live. He's, the Bible says that his words are life. So, and and when, we, when we receive his word, we receive life. We're infused with life. So the word of God is not just a book to judge us now, but it's also a book to instruct us, to encourage us. Paul gives this really amazing um, let me just read to you this verse about uh, how our instruction, what the word of God does for us now. We know that it is sharper than a two-edged sword, right? We know that God's word is, is, is sharper than a two-edged sword. And Paul gives Timothy 
some just amazing advice about what the uh, what the word of God does and why he, we sh he should preach the word and why we should live the word. It says here in um, in Second Timothy chapter two, it says, "Be diligent to present yourself to God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, accurately handling." The King James Version says, "Actually, dividing the word of truth." Amen. So, so the word of truth is, is both a sword that is two-edged. If you look at uh, Hebrews, I believe it's Hebrews 4.12. Let me just turn to it right quick, and I'm going to be very, very short here in giving this to you because I want this to sink in, this to be a part of your spiritual vocabulary, what the word of God does and how it works. In Ephesians 4.12, it says, that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So that's what the word of God does. It's judging us now, our thoughts, our intentions, our motives, our actions. So make a note of that, Hebrews 4.12, says that the word of God is now judging us and now instructing us and now dividing even between things as fine as bone and marrow as spirit and soul okay so the book that sinners are in will be open at the end during God's judgment the word of God is being used now to judge us as believers and will be used to to provide conviction and condemnation to those that are not found written in this final book which is the lamb's book of life this is the book this book right here it's entitled focus on the family this is the book that you <laughs> you want to be you don't want to be in this book but you want to be in the book of life this is the book that will have the names of all the believers and listen what Jesus said watch this and I'm, I'm almost done this is so good and Luke the disciples have been out on this missionary journey and I've talked about this before so this is not new ground he was on this missionary journey and he was he was giving them just instructions on what to do when they went out two by two they returned in Luke chapter 10 verse 20 and they started excitingly congratulating one another and telling the Lord what they had done. I like to use the illustration. They were chest pumping, fist pumping, and pouring Gatorade on themselves because they had cast out demons. Demons and spirits were subject to them. They had had a great revival of healing the sick and doing all these miraculous things. And these guys were pumped. And the Lord said, you shouldn't be rejoicing or excited because of that. You should be rejoicing and excited because in heaven, there is a book. There's a book in heaven and your names, watch this everybody, because if you're a believer, you're a part of this dialogue. This is a narrative that all of us are a part of. He says, in that book, your name has been written. 
But written is not good enough, in my opinion, because it doesn't connote the idea that the Greek carries with it. It's not just, it's not just me taking a pen and a piece of paper and saying, Andy. That's not what it means. It means that it is recorded, it is officially registered, and it is formally recognized that this person bearing this name has been tried, proven, justified, and is about to be glorified. That makes all the difference. That makes, that makes all the difference when it says that it is a, in an official solemn, it's almost as though it's a swearing in. It's a rite of passage. It is a declaration of congratulations. It is an assignment of the highest quantity. It is saying that you have achieved something that few people have better than becoming president of the United States, better than becoming the richest man on the planet, better than making it to the moon and walking on the moon, better than anything that you could accomplish on earth, your name has been duly recorded and registered in God's book that says you are now part of his kingdom forever. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the Lord is saying, don't, don't, don't celebrate about the wrong things. Don't get pumped about things that are a means to an end. There are greater fish to fry. There are bigger things to rejoice over because this is just a pathway to a glorious coronation where you will be sitting with me in glory with my father to reign with me forever. I think it helps ground us. I think it helps give us this sense of of definition. I, th I think it says to us, you know, I am going to stay grounded because my reward is really about heaven. Why I'm working here on earth is about heaven. Do you all f understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm saying that he, he's basically trying to direct our priorities so that it doesn't become about us and what we do. That it always becomes about him and what he has done. You see, that's the difference. And I think when I start rejoicing about my name being written in heaven, see, the reason I can rejoice about my name being written in heaven is that I didn't write it there. I didn't do anything to earn that. I didn't do anything to merit this. The Lord, only the Lord can write my name in the Lamb's book of life. He did it. He gets the credit. He gets the glory. It, it's, it grounds me. It humbles me. It tells me how insignificant my contribution is. All I did was believe. All I did was accept. All I did was receive. All the giving, all the doing, all the sacrificing, all the purifying, all the atoning, all the sanctifying is done on his end. I'm the recipient. I'm the benefactor. Amen. Oh, this is just so exciting to me. I know. I know I ramble on up here and you guys think like, oh, my goodness. This guy is just getting way too pumped. I, I'm sorry. It's just, you know what? My thinking is that 
God has this great template for us in his word that lets us know what we need to do. And that's just to accept him and to watch and wait. And in closing, I put in my notes just a couple of verses that, that, that really signify that, that mindset. He says in Matthew 20, Lisa sang it so beautifully last week. Jesus said in Matthew 24, watch therefore, for you know not the hour that your Lord doth come. Therefore be also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Matthew 24, 42 and 44. Here's another great one in Mark 13, 35. Watch ye therefore, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. That's Matthew 13, 35 and 36. Make a note of this one. Matthew 25, 13 says, watch therefore, for you know not the day, neither, nor, neither the hour, when the Son of Man cometh. That's Matthew 25, 13. And if that weren't enough, the author of the Hebrews threw in there, unto them that look for him, he shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. That's Hebrews 9, 28. 1 John 2, 28. Brother Beecham talked about this not too many days ago. Abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Let me just add one more that I didn't even put in my notes. Actually, I have one more that's in my notes. But I love this other one from 1 John that we talked about a little bit ago, a few weeks ago in, in Bible study on Wednesday nights. That's just also a plug for you guys to please come to Bible study on Wednesday nights from 6 o'clock Eastern and enjoy the word of God with us as we study for about an hour. It usually only lasts an hour uh, unless, unless certain ones, you know, get in and just kind of like filibuster and uh, just take over, take over the whole thing. I won't call Reg's name, but, you know, it's all good. No. <laughs> Look, Reg say, hey, what did I do? Okay, so I love this. What it says here in uh, 1 John 3, it says, and see, see how great love, a great love that the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. And I love this. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Isn't that great? We're now the sons of God. You say, well, Pastor Will, we all know that verse. We know where you're going. Now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Okay, I got that. But here's the part I wanted you to see. Now, N-O-W, now are we the sons of God. Our status our position in heaven, our written names, our registered records, our reward has already been duly noted. And now we are the sons of God. Right now we have that in status. We enjoy that. Tiff's, one of Tiff's favorite songs, I am a friend of God. We are not just a friend, thank God. He, we, he's elevating us from friend to family, from family to son. And we are like him. Amen? Oh, boy, this is just, it says that we don't know what we're going to be. But we know that when he shall appear, that we will be like him, for we shall see him just as he is. Oh, that's just so good. That is so good. I, I'm, I'm quitting. I'm quitting, but I just got to do one more thing. I just got to read this in the King James Version because this has just been 
a verse that we have been studying and memorizing since we were kids. And I just want to read it one more time in the KJV because verse 3 of that passage is just so great. It just says again, and every, it says, I'm going to read verse 2 again, and then finally I'll close with verse 3. That will serve as our Monday morning moment, purifying ourselves as he is pure. That's our Monday morning moment. Monday morning moment, purifying ourselves as he is pure. Here's what it says. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. I'm in 1 John 3, 2. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, that we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. You know, that in and of itself, let me just say this. That in and of itself, the fact that we can see him as he is, which means that we can see him without dying. No man have seen God and lived. People didn't, people were unable to stand in the presence of God and survive. We will be in such a state that we will be able to see him and live. We will be like him. That suggests possibly glorification. It certainly suggests that there will be some sort of change metabolically in our bodies, in our structure, that we will be in a glorified or semi-glorified state where we can be in God's presence and still survive that like the angels. I'm just awestricken by what's in store for us, what God has planned for us. I love that. It says that we don't know. It says again in the KJV, it says, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. That's why I was saying, what do we do in the meantime? What do we do while we're waiting? Regardless of what position a person may have on end times, regardless of what position a person may have on how the Lord returns, regardless of what position we may have on the entire subject of eschatology, all of us have one primary mandate, and that is to live pure now, to live in such a way that we will be able to see him as he is, to live in such a way that demonstrates sanctification. Amen? So that we can be promoted to the next level, which is glorification. When he saved us, that was called justification. As he's keeping us saved, it's called sanctification. When he comes and we go to be with him, that is known as glorification. We're in stage two right now, sanctification. But we're getting sanctified so that one day we can be glorified. Amen? Those are the three stages of salvation. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved ultimately. In that process, we go from justification. We go to sanctification, which is a cleansing and a purification of our bodies and minds and spirits. And then we move to a final state when we go and receive a different body, a different position, a different physical composition. This hybrid, beautiful physical, spiritual entity like Jesus had, where he could appear and disappear. He could materialize and dematerialize. He could be spiritual, but also eat physical. That is just an amazing body, and that is our glorification, which we can look forward to when he's hell return. Amen? Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap because he's worthy. Amen. Lord, we just ask you to bless this word to sink into our hearts. We covered a lot of material in a short amount of time, but Lord, we just ask you to help us to be watchful. 
Help us to watch in a state of readiness, not necessarily watch in that we go to the hills and wait for you to return in the clouds. That's not the kind of watching you were referring to. The watching, Lord, that you were referring to is that we watch our lives. We watch our conduct. We watch our thoughts. We watch our motives. We watch our speech. We make sure that our lives are honoring you and glorifying you and exalting you, that you might receive glory from our lives and be pleased with us. The watching, Lord, is a, is a watching of preparation, a watching of trimming our lamps, a watching of being ready and awake and alert and, and, and serving and working fervently and witnessing uh, valiantly until you return, Lord. That's, that's the kind of watching you expect us to do, not a watching of passivity, but a watching of, of working and, and serving and, and, and plowing and sowing so that we might reap the rewards that you have for us, Lord. May we be diligent. May we be faithful. May we not be weary and well-doing, but that we keep pushing and stand. And when we think we're going to fall, stand therefore and continue to stand, Lord, with the strength that you have given us. And we claim that right now, Lord. We receive that from your word and we stand on those promises. We give you the glory and we give you the honor, Lord. May you be glorified today. May we be edified in our worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.